So this morning, uh, we, have a, we have a choice. We can either look ahead to the crucifixion, or we can pause for a moment and talk about Jesus and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, since we are having a Good Friday service, I I think uh, we'll look at the triumphal entry this morning. And we'll save the crucifixion for Good Friday. Jesus' triumphal entry is recorded in the gospel. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. You see, at the sight of Jesus coming over the top of the Mount of Olives from a little town called Bethphage, Bethphage, however you want to say it, it was very close to Bethany. That's where uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. You remember from last Sunday. And so they're coming over the top of the hill and the people in Jerusalem begin to stir. Could this be the king prophesied about by the prophet Zechariah? And so, like wildfire the rumor and the scuttlebutt and all the conversations and people are being worked into a frenzy. Zechariah the prophet had said centuries before, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, 
and from the river to the ends of the earth. How exciting would it have been for the people under the iron fist of Caesar, under the iron fist of Rome, to suddenly have hope that the long-awaited Messiah was coming over the crest of the hill in real time in that moment. Could this be the king who would lead them out of Roman oppression? And so as he entered the city in this prophetic fashion that Zechariah had talked about, the people cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So by the time Jesus rode through the east gates of Jerusalem, this celebration was in full swing. The the party was on. People put their cloaks and palm branches down in the path of this processing King Jesus, the deliverer of Jerusalem, the rescuer of Israel. This is a magnificent, triumphal entry into the capital city of the Jewish nation. Do you get the image? Now I can't help but think how the disciples must have been struggling with the spectacle that was before them as they followed along behind Jesus on the donkeys. Didn't he say just a little while ago that he was going to Jerusalem this time to die? Didn't he say something about being handed over to the authorities and then being executed? And and then wasn't there also something about rising from the dead in three days? What was that all about? I mean, these people clearly want him to be their king. What could possibly go wrong? So as we're looking at this party going on as Jesus enters Jerusalem, we can see from our perspective that the scene doesn't fit the narrative. Those of us sitting here understand what's about to happen. But if you're standing in the disciples' sandals, The scene doesn't fit the narrative. Jesus has said on more than one occasion that he's not here to lead the revolution against Rome. He said on more than one occasion that he will be taken and tried and killed and then will rise again in three days. See, the scene of the celebration of the triumphal entry just doesn't fit the narrative that they have been hearing for the past three years of ministry. 
I was trying to think what that must be like. It's hard to find a parallel in real life. And as I was talking to Angela last night, as I was putting the finishing touches on this message, I was struggling with that. And as we talked, it came to mind that I remember when my dad and mom were coming to pick up our daughters to take them for the week. And they were all excited and animated about spending a whole week with their mama and their papa. And they danced about the house and they laughed and giggled and they could hardly stand the anticipation as they prepared for the arrival of my parents. There was a party going on in their little world. And as they were celebrating and carrying on, I got a phone call from my mom and she said, I can't get your dad to wake up. He's not breathing and he won't wake up. And as I'm watching this celebration taking place all around me and I can barely hear my mom on the phone for all the boisterous, excited voices of my girls, it's like the soundtrack doesn't fit the movie that I'm seeing. It's the scene that I'm seeing is happy and full of joy, yet the narrative that's being read to me over the phone doesn't match the scene. The scene doesn't fit the narrative, but it's because the actors in the scene don't have all of the information. They don't have the full script. They don't know the master plot. They need the right narrative. See, had my girls known that their papa had just passed, then their scene would have changed dramatically to fit the narrative. Had the people of Jerusalem known what kind of king Jesus really was, their scene would have changed also. See, to my girls, their papa was the greatest man on earth, just as Jesus was at that very moment to the people of Jerusalem. Sometimes our narrative is not the same as God's narrative. The true narrative was that Jesus was not an earthly king. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, Paul writes, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sometimes the plans of the Father, the narrative, are beyond our immediate understanding because we get caught up in our own scenes which we play out based on our own narrative, our own wants, our own needs, our own desires, and sometimes we are surprised, even disappointed, when the reality of the true narrative comes into the light. But the true narrative, God's narrative, is always higher than ours. God exalted the name of Jesus above all other names, not because Jesus did Jesus' will, but because he did the will of the Father who sent him. As Paul says, let that same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son, the name that is above every name, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.